with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning and welcome to After 9. I'm your host for the next hour, Eric Allen. My panel today is going to be Herb Martin, Sheldon Clare, Peter Ewart, and James Steidel. And we're going to have a number of different topics, uh, some interesting, some not so interesting, but stuff we kind of like to get out there. Uh, we're going to start off with Canada's housing shortage. Uh, lots of people, not too many houses. And Peter's going to go into some detail on that, give us a, a sense, if he can, of what's just what's going on in the housing market. Go ahead, Peter. Yeah, well, thanks, Eric. Yeah, uh, as everyone knows, Canada faces uh, an acute housing shortage, as well as rapidly <coughs> rising rents, rising mortgage costs, increased homelessness, etc. You know, on a whole number of fronts, there's a there's a, a problem. It's becoming a crisis for the country as a whole, and undoubtedly is going to be a huge issue in the upcoming provincial and federal elections. An article in the Financial Post recently points out that there's that there have been estimates put out by various sources, including the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, that have calculated that in Canada there will be 3.5 million additional homes needed by 2030, just six years away. However, the CIBC is now, uh, the CIBC Bank is now estimating that even this figure is widely out of date. The original estimate was based upon a projected base population of 38.9 million which would mean that 3.5 million extra housing units would be needed by 2030. But Canada's population, as of October 2023, was already 40.5 million. According to another article, overall more than 1 million immigrants were added during the first nine months of 2023, higher than any other full year period since 1867. All this means that Canada will need to build 5 million extra units on top of existing annual construction by 2030. This will be extremely difficult to achieve under existing plans. Currently, Canada is building 220,000 housing units in a full year, when what is needed is at least three times that amount. As the article points out, while all this bad news for people searching for somewhere to live, it also... While this is bad news for people searching for somewhere to live, it also bodes ill for affordability. So it's a paradoxical situation. The country needs immigrants to boost its sagging economy and replace its aging population, as there are serious demographic problems with Canada, with Canada having a relatively low birth rate. In terms of solution, a serious problem is that solutions are being put forward by you know, various governments, the federal governments, whether liberal or conservative, that put corporate profit and private interest at the center of the solutions, but not the interests of the Canadian people as a whole. In my opinion, it's very hard to see where any solution will be forthcoming from the schemes of these parties. Under the existing representative form of government in Canada, solutions are cooked up by political parties behind closed doors, but the people are left out in the cold. To solve, the, in my opinion, to solve the housing problem, we need grand initiatives that involve the people of the country and utilize public funding in big ways to spearhead solutions. There's various examples of this kind of approach to one degree or another in countries around the world, including Singapore and other places, 
and Canada itself has examples such as the building of what are, what are often called the army houses after the Second World War. In Canada itself, the C Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives has put forward the idea that government can build below market housing in a way that's self-sustaining and self-financing, especially because government can borrow at lower interest rates in the private sector, cut the developer cost out of the picture, and bring in reasonable rental income that allows it to break even rather than profit. In any case, I think you know, when we look at the, the, the situation that's looming you know, before us, we need big and bold initiatives to alleviate this housing crisis. And we need to discuss and think about new forms of governance that can involve the citizenry and give them more control over the housing issue. <coughs> In my opinion, affordable housing must be a right. Okay, thanks, Peter. I'm just going to run the table on this. Uh, I'll start with Herb and then go to, uh, <coughs> excuse me, James, or sorry, uh, Sheldon, and then to James. We'll just try to flesh this out. Go ahead, Herb. Yeah, there, it's, uh, it is a big problem, and uh, there's no single solution in sight. There's many different uh, things that are happening. It's a little bit uh, overwhelming, to say the least. Pretty good uh, article by Rob Shaw in the Orca. Um, in BC, at least, there's um, upcoming timelines look like this. There, there's a municipal public hearing ban that's uh, in effect now. Municipal developer financing changes that are happening now. Short-term rental restrictions end May 1st. Uh, transit hub condo towers are allowed by June 30th. Multiplexes on single-family lots July 1st. Secondary suites legal across BC July 1st. New Municipal Housing Needs Reports, December 31st. New Municipal Official Community Plans, December 31st of next year. And Homeless Shelter Definition Changes, unknown. So there's there's a whole bunch of things coming down the pike. Uh, EB's uh, policy changes uh, are already taking effect. And um, we're going to see a, a massive amount of building um, going on in the Lower Mainland, at least. Uh, fairly soon, but yeah, this is going to take years to, to to start fixing, and that's and that's just BC. Um, you know, the, across the country, there's going to be have to be changes to municipal, uh, provincial, and uh, and federal uh, policies, and uh, we you know it's 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 a staggering sea change that we're about to undergo. Okay, thanks, sir, uh, Sheldon. Yeah, certainly it does require the cooperation and collaboration of all levels of government to be able to deal with this major crisis. Certainly uh, there are some disputes about what needs to be done and there will be disputes even within political parties about the best solutions to the problems. The Conservatives of course uh, have uh, outlined a plan. Pierre Polyev has, a, has outlined a plan for dealing with it. Some of that has already been copied by the Liberals, for example, the uh, elimination of the, uh, the the GST on affordable apartment housing is something that uh, Trudeau promptly announced he was going to do recently. The, the thing about uh, some of the plans, like Polyev is talking about uh, providing funding to municipalities that increase the number of their, their housing starts to by 15%, and if you're don't get to 15%, you're penalized, and if you get over 15%, you get a bonus, which is sounds very encouraging. Uh, one of the things that I'm not sure how it's going to sell with some of his base is the whole idea 
of a of a not in my backyard uh, fine when residents push back against high density housing which is something that commonly happens when you have uh, chosen a lifestyle by where you built your property you want a little bit of space around you and you, you hear cities talk about infill 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 they start uh, making larger houses on smaller lots or stuffing multiple houses in what used to be uh, larger city lots and that tends to get pushback from residents who want to have yards for their kids to play in and more space when you cram more and more people into smaller and smaller spaces you tend to get a higher rate of crime it's it's kind of a rats in a cage thing where you have so many people in higher density population areas that you start to see conflict and you the more space you get the less likely you're have, having to have conflict. And Canada has been fortunate in having lots of wide open spaces which have been helpful for avoiding that. So there are a whole bunch of things to balance with all of this. Uh, one of the other things that's been uh, touted is to require cuts to the, bureauc the bureaucratic process like for Canada Mortgage and Housing about approving financing and uh, cutting red tape on building starts, which is something municipalities do certainly have some control over. It's a big problem. It's not going to be easy resol easily resolved. And as was pointed out, the reason we're having this problem is because of a, a, a population that is aging and does need to ha have uh, housing for seniors. That's that's a huge concern. And it also has to do with the uh, push for immigration which is going on so all of these things are factors that need to be dealt with in a way that's going to be the best solution for people who live here as well as people who are moving here and for young people who can't afford to buy their own homes right now thank you good thanks Sheldon <coughs> go ahead James yeah there's I think Peter Peter made a great uh, presentation there there are, you know the federal government needs to do all sorts of um, <coughs> partnerships with uh, to create uh, social housing, I guess you want to call it, or nonprofit housing. I actually lived in, in one of the units the federal government built down in, in Vancouver on Powell Street, 103 Powell Street, uh, so right on the edge of, of Gastown. And uh, that place was called Columbia House, and I, I guess the federal government uh, purchased it or uh, maybe maybe donated or not donated, put up a, a bunch of money for a loan for uh, the nonprofit society. I forget the, what the name of the nonprofit was, but, you know, it was a well-run, well-managed uh, apartment building with, you know, hundreds of units. And, uh, you know, it, it was great. It was um, affordable. I think we paid like 900 bucks a month or something like that. And, uh, you know, it wasn't like an SRO or anything like that. It was, a, it was a really nice apartment building. And I think these these are the kind of initiatives that, you know, we used to do a lot of. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look after uh, the Second World War, uh, the federal government was involved in a huge amount of, of housing developments, and they don't do it anymore. So I think that's, that's an easy one. Uh, you know, they can create uh, something where the bottom line and these maximum profits for the shareholders isn't the priority, and it worked. You know, like, why, why, what was wrong with that model? Uh, I couldn't really see anything wrong with it. Uh, I don't even think it cost us any money. I think, um, you know, I'm pretty sure that loan that they, they fronted to that nonprofit is being paid back and, and it's uh, run at uh, no no loss. So, yeah, I think those those are the kind of models I think we could look at. Um, and uh, moving forward, yeah, I, I don't know. I think immigration needs to be uh, reassessed. I, I don't think it's uh, beneficial to our society as far as uh, the availability of housing and health care. I don't think it's beneficial to the people coming here. 
seeking a better life. I, I just watched a news program there in India on, you know, the false promise of Canada. A lot of people are coming here expecting to to live a better life and it doesn't happen. All their, their income, it's hard to get a job and what money they are able to earn gets uh, eaten up by these crazy rents and, and food prices and transportation costs. And, you know, this is, a, this is an expensive place to live. And, and uh, whatever we're doing with our society right now is not making it better. So, yeah, I think there's some important discussions here to be had. Okay, so I, I guess here we're talking about single-family homes and... Uh Apartments, low-income housing, rentals, um, suites in houses. So it's not just building houses. You know, the, the housing market itself, single-family dwellings are. I think the U.S. builds about a million five hundred a year, on average, anyway. And uh, you know, I don't know what percentage of this shortage that we have now uh, would be single-family dwelling. I know that half the people in this country can't afford to buy a house. And I lay that right at the feet of the politicians and the people that are making uh, humongous profits under this system the way it's working today. We can't, we can't keep burying our heads and pretending that the responsibility for this mess is gouging and uh, huge inflation, which is created by, in a lot of cases, high wages. Uh, minimum production and super high wages is what we pay to a lot of people. It's not a way to build a country. So we now have people out there who, if they're lucky, they can get 20 hours a week at the minimum wage of, say, $16 an hour. Now, you get your pen pencil and a piece of paper and explain to me how this person is ever going to buy a house in this country. And if you happen to get two of them, now you got 40 hours a week, which is really one job. And if they're lucky and they both get 40 hours a week, now you might be getting close to make a down payment but, you know, you're going to buy a $550,000 home and go in debt for 25 years and eat uh, popcorn and uh, uh, cereal every day and get by on that? Or are we going to change things in this country so you can make a living? Some people make an awful good living in this country. Other people can't even get a job, and nobody talks about it. So <clears throat> just to give you an idea now, because I want to get into this, a shortage of housing here will run neck and neck with what's going on in the United States. And if they decide they're going into a big building boom, what makes us think that we can do any building here? Where are we going to get the lumber from? Is it going to go back up to $1,500, a thousand board feet, like it was a few years ago? And if it does, who can, who can pay for it? So there's lots of things to talk about here, but uh, right now we're going to go for a break. and we come back, uh, we'll fire the second salvo. Hi, this is The Wolfman. CFIS FM features a weekly showcase dedicated to local musicians. Homegrown, Saturday night at 10. Homegrown features music and interviews from local artists performing and recording in our area. You will hear an eclectic mix of softer and heavier sounds from the region's finest musicians spanning over 30 years of recordings. Check out Homegrown, Saturday night at 10, only here on 93.1 CFIS FM. Live Well Prince George Society is hosting the Wellness North and Business Expo Saturday, March 23rd at the Civic Center. Be on hand to check out the multitude of exhibitors and speakers or take in some workshops as well as free health screenings and consultations. There will also be a Kids Corner. For more information, visit livewellpg.ca. Take charge of your health by attending the Wellness North and Business Expo Saturday, March 23rd from 10 to 4 at the Civic Center. 
a priest, a minister, and a rabbi walked into Deb's cafe. Deb asked them, what is this, some kind of joke? Like everyone else, they just wanted great coffee, a fresh, hearty lunch, and some tasty baked treats. Our specialty bakery also offers numerous choices that please diabetic and gluten-sensitive customers. If you're ready for a treat, let us put a smile on your face at Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery, next to Pharmasave at 7th and Quebec. Forecast from Environment Canada, clearing this morning, then mainly sunny. Wind up to 15K, high of minus 1 with a morning wind chill to minus 12. Tonight, partly cloudy, more wind, a low of minus 13 with a wind chill to minus 16. Clearing on Tuesday, wind continuing, a high of minus 4 with an afternoon wind chill to minus 11. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back and uh, we're going to go on with this housing situation for a little bit longer um, primarily because it's a big big problem the situation we have now is bringing in millions of uh, immigrants and trying to find jobs for them and try to find housing for them and we just don't have it and it doesn't look like we're going to have it for uh, uh, two or three years if ever if we keep bringing people in and we keep having people that are born here can't can't afford to buy houses. You know, it becomes a very serious situation. Not just buying a house, but finding a place to live. So, the question is, you know, what do we do about it now? If you really kind of look at it objectively, most of the solutions we have are pure, unadulterated socialism. We'll get the government to buy a house for us, and we'll move in and live for next to nothing. And, and why are we doing that? Are we in a situation now that the government has to basically look after us because we can't get a job and, and go to work every day and buy our own house? Is that the problem? And if it is, what caused that problem? And why is it that somebody can get paid $250,000 a year and buy an $800,000 home and another person gets $16 or maybe $30 a year and less? and can't buy a home at all. Is that a fair distribution of wealth? And who decides who gets paid for what? Looking at some high-paid people here are kind of blinking a bit because they don't see any problem with the high pay. (laughs) But they don't have any solutions for the low pay. So anyway, uh, but the situation itself is serious. I think Canadians in the situation that we're in are entitled to have a shot at owning a home half-decent home or renting one or be able to rent an apartment. You know, a single family, a single apartment in Prince George right now <coughs> uh, runs, can run you anywhere from twelve to $1,500 a month. So that's the first big bite out of your paycheck at 20 hours a week. If you get 40 hours a week, you got a little bit left over. And, you know, where's the future on that? Herb. Well, here's some interesting statistics. According uh, to uh, Stats Canada, uh, immigration accounted for 90% of Canada's labor force growth and 75% of population growth in Canada in 2021. International students contribute uh, over $20 billion uh, to Canada's economy each year, a bulk of them Indians who now make up uh, one in five recent immigrants to the country. India was also Canada's leading source for immigration in 2022. The numbers of those leaving are still small in absolute terms, with immigration levels at all-time highs in Canada, uh, the country welcomed nearly half a million new immigrants um, or new migrants each year over the past few years. But the rate of reverse migration hit a two-decade high in 2019, signaling that migrants were starting to lose confidence in the country. 
official data shows between 80 and 90,000 immigrants left Canada in 2021 and 2022 and either went back to the countries or elsewhere. So, you know, it's, 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 um, I mean, it's still relatively small in, in terms of, uh, you know, of, of losses, but, um, um, yeah, it's, it's not a, it's not a, the overwhelmingly terrific, you know, idea that maybe it once, that Canada once was, uh, or once, you know, that, uh, in their dreams, you know, Canada is not uh, stacking up, so people are starting to, to turn elsewhere. So yeah, we've got to get to, we've got to get on the uh, on the program and and uh, and make sure these people have a future here. You know, it's it's not it's not good enough just to say you know in their, the conditions in India are so terrible that they're going to come here anyway. Um, you know, we, we can do better than that, and we will do better than that. What you described there, Herb, though, you can you can apply it to immigrants coming to Canada for the last hundred years. Situations are basically the same. They leave for the very basically same reasons. They come here, they build houses, raise families, and uh, you know later on, second generation, they're living a good life, and that's pretty well open to anybody. But there was work, and they, and they were tradespeople, and they could get jobs, and it's not there now. You know, it's pretty hard, pretty hard pressed to get a good paying job in this town right now. Go ahead, Sheldon. Certainly. And I, I think I'd like to focus on the inflationary aspect that is a, overarching all of this. It's certainly the case that what inflation represents is a devaluation of the currency. It means that your dollar buys less. Uh, we're not tied to anything that anchors that money. So when your money isn't having the same purchasing power, you're going to have a problem. We've got a problem with people not being able to buy homes or get into housing because they can't get mortgages. And they can't get mortgages and, they, and the mortgage rates are getting to be so high that it ties them to a cycle of debt which is going to be very difficult to get out of. So I think one of the solutions that needs to be looked at very carefully is getting inflation back under control and making sure that people have access to mortgages so that they can get the resources that they need in order to get into the homeowner's market. So government bears a lot of responsibility for the inflation rate. Government gets money basically by in three ways. They either they tax people, they print money, or they borrow money. If you're printing money to excess or borrowing money, you're contributing to inflation. That's exactly what happens with that. You, if you keep, if you print more and more money, I, I had someone say to me once, "All the government needs to do to get out of debt is print a whole bunch of money and pay off the debt, and then we're, we're good." And I looked, I, I looked at this person and I said, "Wow, you have really no understanding of the damage that an excess money supply would do to the economy. It would completely destroy things. And you think we have trouble buying houses, getting into apartments, or even being able to afford groceries? Now, that would make things considerably worse." It would, be, it would be people going around with wheelbarrows full of money like happened in Germany on a couple of occasions in the 1920s and led to a pretty dark time in the 30s and 40s. So that's not what we want to see happening in Canada for sure. We need to give people the opportunities to get into those homes and getting inflation under control and providing the opportunities for affordable mortgages is what needs to happen. Okay, Peter, go ahead. Uh, yeah, Eric, I would look at the, 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 the present-day problem was coming about because, uh, uh, you know, what happened uh, 30 or 35 years ago was um, that the uh, p 
provincial and federal governments, they moved out of the, the whole area of, uh, of building, uh, you know, what, what's often called socialized housing or whatever, right? I, I think that uh, this was under the influence of the neoliberal doctrine, right? The fend for yourself kind of thing. Like, uh, huge handouts, billions of dollars to big corporations, uh, but uh, cutting back uh, all kinds of transfer payments for and, and so on for uh, in the health sector as well as in the social sector, you know. So to me, that that that's where the problem, part of the problem lies, uh, you know. That w- where we're fa- what we're facing today in terms of the of the shortage of housing, the high rents, and so on. Right? Is it's uh, you have this influence of this neoliberal dogma that um, pervades. And uh, we need to get away from that and look at uh, the, the situation as it exists today and how we can move ahead uh, in ways that um, involve, the p- involve the people as a whole and is in their interest, not in the interests of uh, globalized corporations who are you know, just seeking more uh, billion-dollar handouts and so on. But that, that, to me, is where the problem lies, is that the, the uh, uh, part of the problem, anyway, is... Uh, Governments actually getting out of the whole area of, uh, t- you know, what they call socialized housing. Okay, we're going to go for a break now and we'll come back. We'll finish this one off. Whether your chess game is still confined to pawn to king four or you're a future grandmaster, the Prince George Library Chess Club has the place for you. Every second Wednesday, the downtown branch hosts the chess club with a chance to learn for beginners from 4.30 to 5.30, followed by two hours of tournament play for intermediate players. Chess club is a free drop-in event with the next chess club Wednesday, February 21st from 4.30 to 7.30 at the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library. Learn to love your smile again at Der Denture Center. Der Denture Center offers a full range of denture services from partial dentures to complete dentures. Same-day repairs are also available. Der Denture Center is located on the third floor of the Victoria Medical Building with easy elevator access. Come in for a free complimentary consultation. No referral required. For help with your existing set or if you need new, Der Denture Center in the Victoria Medical Building. Call 250-562-6638. A priest, a minister, and a rabbi walked into Deb's Cafe. Deb asked them, what is this, some kind of joke? Like everyone else, they just wanted great coffee, a fresh, hearty lunch, and some tasty baked treats. Our specialty bakery also offers numerous choices that please diabetic and gluten-sensitive customers. If you're ready for a treat, let us put a smile on your face at Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery, next to Pharmasave at 7th and Quebec. Northern Health is taking actions to continue protecting people, communities, and the health care system this respiratory season by encouraging people in the North, aged six months and older, to get their COVID-19 and influenza vaccines. Visit getvaccinated.gov.bc.ca to get registered. Invitations will then be sent by email and text message with an invitation link to book your vaccine appointment. If you need help scheduling your vaccines, call 1-833-838-2323. Visit northernhealth.ca for clinic information in your community. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. Uh, James, did you want to say something on that? Well, I just I just want to, you know, say that, uh, as usual, Peter's bang on. You know, the, the, the global neoliberal world order uh, has basically turned housing into a investment uh, bucket where everybody dumps their money. And it wasn't like that before. 
And, and uh, the reason that's happened is, well, interest rates are part of it, but also, you know, people used to invest in, in factories and businesses that used to produce stuff. And we don't do that in North America anymore. It's all being offshored to China. It's hard. You can't invest in those big corporations in China. They're all, they're all state-owned. So you're basically your investment opportunity uh, in, in increasingly in, in the West is real estate. And not only our own money, but money from around the world is coming to Canada for real estate investment. A lot of this money is uh, crooked money, you know, like corruption money, drug money, all this stuff. Huge billions and billions of this, of this money are being dumped into the Canadian and uh, American real estate uh, sector, uh, driving up the cost. So, you know, it's, it's a huge global problem. Uh, basically, it, uh, it hints at the underlying kind of weaknesses and of, of this, this neoliberal capitalist kind of global feudalist system that we've created. Now, you know, you, you can laugh and, and, and whatnot, but that, that's, that's the reality, and it's just going to keep getting worse and worse if we don't rein this in, and, and it's going to require government action to do it, uh, which is going to be really hard for a government to do because, you know, all of our bureaucrats have been uh, trained to think that the, there's no other way to live other than the neoliberal corporate world uh, uh, economy. They've gone to universities. They, they get public administration degrees, teaching them all the same stuff. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the corporations are in charge, and, and you've got to let them run the show, and there's nothing that the public, we the public, can do about it, which, which is nonsense, frankly. There's a lot of things we can do about it. And I think uh, one of the first things we should do is bring in tariffs. We've got to withdraw from this global trading system that we're in where all of our stuff that we buy, if all of our consumer goods are all produced in China or overseas, we've got to start making stuff here in Canada again. We've got to start developing a manufacturing sector. Uh, you know, we put tariffs on furniture two years ago. It wasn't the end of the world, right? It, it helped a lot of Canadian furniture manufacturers out. We can do the same thing for tools, for a lot of different things. We've got to start producing steel. We've got to start uh, producing tooling to make tools. You know, all this stuff is what we used to do in this country. We don't do it anymore. Uh, we basically become lazy. Uh, we, we just depend on these other societies to do all the hard work for us, and, and everybody wants to sit on their ass and get money for not doing anything. And that's one of the reasons you buy a house, right? It's a perfect example of um, using your money to basically suck a bunch of money out of somebody else, and you don't got to do any work. Maybe you fix the roof, uh, do a little bit of upgrades, and then, uh, you know, if everybody does the same thing, you'll double your money in, in four or five years. So that's the root of the problem right there, guys. And I think the root of the problem was about 1957 forward where people stopped actually getting paid for doing, doing a reasonably good job so that they could afford to buy anything. <clears throat> and then, of course, a little later on, we come along with the uh, publicly traded company, which the mantra is simple, you know, maximum profits, minimum cost. And that means you cut jobs and uh, you reduce your expenses and your uh, maintenance. There are lots of examples in Prince George. If you want to wander around and see where there's no maintenance being done, you pretty well track it to a publicly traded company because that's not big on their list of things to do. So we don't have those jobs anymore. So now, you know, you could leave school in the 50s with grade 10 education and get a job and work for the rest of your life, make good money and buy a house and everything was fine. Now you get out of there with two or three years university, <laughs> you get a job. $15 minimum wage or something and you have to work two jobs and you can't afford to buy a house. That's got nothing to do necessarily with um, uh, political philosophy because politicians aren't smart enough even to know what's going on let alone how to fix it. 
they're not they're part of the problem but in a different way and they've had a good free run of 40 years to solve these problems and guess what they haven't done it their solution is throw money at it one of the things you could do is go look at the model private private uh, private corporations produce jobs we have too many um, situations where like use Jim Patterson as the evil one you know and the big corporation and you know watch Jimmy because can for and all that. Well, that's all just hogwash. He owns 52% of uh, the shares in Canfor. The rest of his companies are private, limited companies that employ something like 30,000 people. Now, it's pretty hard for a few other private, limited companies in British Columbia, anyway, to come anywhere close to creating that many jobs. And these aren't all necessarily. I mean, these are jobs in grocery stores and things like that that pay a little bit more than the minimum wage, but at least it's a steady job, and uh, you know the thing is it's going to be around for a while, and they have the unions and the possibility of increasing that. So, you know, we just got to go back to getting a paying for a job, and you know, I, I, I my feeling is if a guy says, well, you know, if we have to pay more than minimum wage, I won't be able to sell my hamburgers. I'll go broke. Well, too bad. I don't have any problem with a businessman going broke if his business doesn't make money. I'm not here to subsidize a hamburger salesman. Okay? I'd sooner subsidize my own kids to buy a house and get them a job that they can make enough money to pay for it. And as far as these houses go, is, uh, like the government will give you $40,000 now to put a basement uh, suite in your house. Why don't they just give you 60000 and give you a down payment on the house? your children same diff cost them the same amount of money and then you can go and put your own suite in there you know, double dip so anybody want to comment on this before we change subjects but where does the government get its money from Eric? Uh, I, I know mean, they get it from you know, the working you, people you, you get money from from taxation from borrowing it or from printing money yeah it, it, so when 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 I hear someone say oh the government should just give us this money and I, I just I cringe because what you're doing is you're taking money from some people to give it to other people, and, and how do you determine that, and what are the rates and everything else, and is that the best solution? I mean, when, when Canada adopted a full-on welfare state after World War II, there were a lot of things about that that were very appealing to people. The Veterans Land Act, the ability of people to get retrained for participation in what was a, going to be a booming economy, all of that was really quite attractive. However, when we started to see uh, the the problems of of this boom and bust cycle get back into the bust cycle, and we and we we saw this uh, particularly in the 1980s when things started to go a little more sideways, particularly in the north. And Prince George had a pretty rough time after a, an uh, an era of promise when we got the mills and everything going here that looked so positive. It turned out to be a short term gain. And we've just been steadily sort of on a, uh, on a flat ec economic circumstance ever since. Now, I, I agree with you. you know, I, I agree with, with, with part of what uh, James was saying, too, that we need to be building stuff here. We need to be adding value to our resources rather than sending them elsewhere. The problem is, is shifting whose ox gets gored to somebody else's ox getting gored. Because if you're dealing with imports and exports, Somebody benefits from exports and somebody else benefits from local manufacturing. So, you know, if, you, if you make the stuff here and sell it overseas, that's great. 
But when you start just shipping the raw materials away, you're not getting all that extra value added. It gets added overseas and then sent back to you where you're paying a lot more and, and ostensibly benefiting from the low labor costs overseas. If people want to keep their well-paid jobs, then you know, tariff protection is something that's very, very seriously involved in that. You have to be looking at that kind of protectionism, but that doesn't necessarily sit well in a global type of economy where you are reliant on shipping various products and commodities across international borders. So it's a complex problem. And I, I would just add as well, Eric, that people get the governments they deserve. When we blame politicians, and I'm happy to do that as much as anybody, we need to understand that we do elect them. And that does mean people have the opportunity to go to a ballot box, put an X beside a name, and make a choice every so often. And in our parliamentary system, of course, that gives tremendous power for a few years. But that's, that's what you get. Okay, I'm just gonna. <clears throat> we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're gonna have Herb wants to say a few words, and then we're gonna get into uh, his favorite little subject this week, which is methane leaking methane, and uh, we'll talk about that. So we'll take the break now. The Seniors Activity Center on Brunswick is hosting their monthly country dance Saturday evening at seven, featuring the music of Whiskey Moon. Admission is just twenty dollars at the door and includes a light snack. Everyone 19 and older is welcome to attend for a great night of country dancing and fun with friends. With a cash bar and 50-50 draw, the Senior Activity Center Monthly Country Dance featuring the music of Whiskey Moon, 7 o'clock Saturday night at 4th and Brunswick. The Senior Center on Brunswick is home to a variety of great activities. Floor curling, cribbage, line dancing, bridge, carpet bowling, and more, the Senior Center at 4th and Brunswick also hosts a monthly dance and other special events throughout the year. The Senior Activity Centre office is open from 9 to 3, Monday through Friday, for more information. You can also find current activity information on the Prince George Senior Centre Facebook page or by emailing senioractivitypg at shaw.ca. The Child Development Centre needs help with building wood tables and nesting stools. The CDC is also in need of refinishing items previously built. Materials will be supplied by the Child Development Centre. However, a place is needed to complete the task. Contact Fabiola Toyata at the Child Development Center by emailing fabiolat at cdcpg.org for more information. You can also reach out to Fabio by calling or texting 250-645-4615. Forecast from Environment Canada. Clearing this morning, then mainly sunny. Wind up to 15K. High of minus 1 with a morning wind chill to minus 12. Tonight, partly cloudy, more wind, a low of minus 13 with a wind chill to minus 16. Clearing on Tuesday, wind continuing, a high of minus 4 with an afternoon wind chill to minus 11. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back and we're going to go to Herb. He's going to... Are you going to finish off the last subject before you go to your new one? Yeah, I just want to, you know, respond to Sheldon. You know, harking back to the halcyon days of the 1950s, well... One thing we all forget is that back in the 50s, corporations and and the uh, average taxpayer uh, contributed both about 50% to government coffers. And in the last uh, 50 or 60 years, corporation tax rates have decreased to the point where uh, the average taxpayer now pays two-thirds of government receipts and and corporations are down to one-third. 
So <clears throat> this is, you know, we're, we've, we've really bent over backwards to this uh, neoliberal agenda. And, um, uh, you know, we've, we've given away the, uh, the bank to, to the cor- to corporations here in, in, in uh, Canada. And, um, uh, you know, a good example of that, I would say locally, is uh, look at the, uh, the windfall profits that uh, some of the uh, logging corporations have been making uh, over the last number of years. Uh, Canfor, West Fraser come to mind. And um, uh, you know, the, the, really, they've, they're they're uh, you know they're they're charging outrageous amounts for uh, for wood. They're shutting down mills, even when prices are historical highs. And you know, watch what's coming down the pike next. It's uh, the U.S. has now announced that they're going to increase the tariffs on softwood lumber again, up to thirteen percent, almost fourteen percent, and. Um, there's, the U.S. has collected $12 billion in Canadian funds from uh, law, uh, forestry operations across Canada. $8 billion of that has come from B.C. So the corporations, Canfor, West Fraser, uh, probably stand to, to, to re- receive about another $8 billion uh, from the Americans if they, if they settle this softwood lumber tax uh, this year. If not, that number will still get bigger. So, you know, this is where corporations are running the game. And um, uh, we've got to start uh, electing people who can stand up for the common person and, and not for corporations. And that's going to be hard to find. Well, certainly if you're working with, you know, they, they take this uh, Southwood tax when you cross the border. And then two years later, they give it back. I don't see where. Well, they, have, they haven't given it back in over four years now. They've been giving it back for over 40 years since it came in. Eventually, they settle it to get the money back. Well, not they, all of it. Not all of it. No. And, so and it's it's, uh, it's more like a, uh, you know having a guy in a card game cheating. It's, uh, you know here's here's your money, and then you turn around and he's got it back again. How do you do that? You know, it's the same money coming back across the border. We can anyway, talk about gun control in that relationship, I suppose, eh, yeah, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> so, Herb wanted to get into uh, methane leaks, uh, and he sent me some information on it. I didn't, I didn't bring it all in, and I didn't distribute it, but you just give us an overview on that here because it's a lot more complicated than I thought it was. Well, it's surprising because, you know, I, I, I thought I, you know, I had a pretty good uh, understanding of uh, climate change and stuff, but I, I did a little more research into methane, and it, it turns out that carbon dioxide <coughs> is, is, is the main culprit for greenhouse gases, but methane is right up there. So it's about over 30% of the... Uh, uh, greenhouse gases in the atmosphere that they're finding, and the number is going up in a dramatic way. And if you start looking at it, um, uh, there's some recent alarming uh, headlines coming out that uh, Alberta, for instance, has been underreporting, um, uh, systematically underreporting the oil, the oil sands uh, methane production and and losses from uh, either. Uh, uh, industrial production of, of uh, uh, heavy oil. Uh, but also they they're uh, not 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 up to uh, date on uh, plugging their wells. I think they've got over eight hundred thousand wells that are uh, potentially leaking. No one really knows because no one's looking at them. Uh, but there's been recent. Uh, there was an article in the Tai that said thirty percent of the uh, abandoned wells uh, are leaking to some extent or another. So the the really alarming thing about methane is that. Um, 
it's uh, on a on a pound for pound basis. It's a hundred times worse than carbon dioxide for the for the greenhouse effects that it, it can. So very small amounts of methane can have big big impacts. And when we're not even measuring, uh, you know the the. The, the, you know, the wells that might be, uh, well, it's certainly some are um, emitting methane. Uh, and we're not, uh, and, and Alberta's, uh, for instance, um, uh, not even uh, taking into account some methane production. For instance, Canadian Natural Resources, uh, what they do is they they something called um, uh, cold processing of tar sands. So what they do is they basically mine the tar sands uh, they heap it and just let the natu- the methane that's naturally in that escape into the environment. So that's that was never actually even counted, and they're just starting to realize that that's a huge, uh, powerful uh, you know emissions source. So this is something that you know we're we're I think most people now are are starting to come around to the fact that you know there there is climate change it is happening, and you know if we're so cavalier is to let um, you know all this uh, you know a big a big percentage of, of greenhouse gases basically go unreported uh, and make no effort whatsoever to really uh, try and you know uh, fix this then you know we're really playing dice with our future and um, you know it, it's sad that it's it's come down to the uh, you know, people trying to make political points on carbon dioxide, and you know how many, uh, how much carbon dioxide they can they can safely take from the air when we're not even doing the most basic things uh, to save ourselves. I guess that's that's my takeaway from the from the whole issue. I mean, we can get into it in far more detail in another program, but and there's there's lots of information out there. There's been really good articles written by the TAI, the Orca. Uh, Globe Mail, CBC News has had articles on this in the last little while, but I, no one's really talking about it too much. And it's and it, it's um, it's something that we can do something about, really, actually, relatively easily. Like they said, uh, I think there was uh, Alberta government came out with uh, some estimates that forty percent of its methane emissions could be uh, corrected at uh, at basically no cost. But the fact that you know that it's just sort of a taboo item no one wants to talk about it uh well you know i guess we're talking about it today and that's a start good thank you we're going to go to james uh, after the break which we're going to take here right about now and he wants to talk about hockey sticks caring for someone in long-term care brings a change in role for caregivers as the support team expands learn how to adjust your caregiving role and work effectively with the long-term care team Thursday evening online. It's one way to help ensure the person dealing with dementia receives the care they need. Sessions are free to attend. For more information, visit alzbc.org edu-workshops. Working with the care team in long-term care, Thursday evening from 6.30 to 8, online. Your Prince George Public Library is offering a chance to speak with a number of community services in one place without an appointment. If you need to connect with services like WorkBC, the Ministry of Social Development and Poverty Reduction, PG Community Legal Service, and PG Urban Aboriginal Justice Society, the Downtown Library is the place to be every second Tuesday. The next community service table is tomorrow from 2 to 4 at the Downtown Public Library. If you are working on a fiber project of any kind, no matter what level of crafter you are, 
Your Prince George Public Library is hosting Craft and Chat every Saturday at the downtown branch. Share your project, vent your frustrations, brag about successes, get or give help, and chat with other crafters. Snacks are provided. Held in partnership with the Great Northwest Fiber Fest, Craft and Chat, Saturdays through February 24th from 1 to 3 at the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library. The Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity, and Recreation Council is accepting applications from Indigenous and not-for-profit organizations serving Indigenous youth to host a sport development camp, coaching certification course, or officials training session. These are community-based programs ranging from one or two days to multiple weeks. Applications and full details are available through ispark.ca. That's I-S-P-A-R-C dot C-A. The application deadline for 2024 second quarter programs and events is March 31st. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. We're going to go to James. Uh, I think it's James that wanted to talk on this, on the hockey stick thing, James. Yeah, yeah, I sent that article around. So last week, Michael Mann there, he's a climate scientist down in the States, and he came up with this hockey stick uh, prediction, basically, of, of climate change, they call it, because the, you know, the chart looked like a hockey stick. You got a little bit of uh, climate change, and then it, then it hits the blade, and it uh, skyrockets, kind of like w- exactly what we're seeing right now. And uh, some right-wing kind of climate denier dudes, uh, I think Mark Stein, I, I think his name was, they, they came out and said, you know, this was a fraudulent graph uh, and said some other. I think they compared him to, uh, you know, this um, president, I think, of the, the University of Pennsylvania who would, like, been convicted for pedophilia or something. So he, he, char- he, he made claims of... Uh, Defamation that uh, lingered on in a court system for like ten years, and, and last week he he won his case. And there's some big questions about well, what does this mean for you know talking about science? Like if you if you say if you disagree with the scientific finding, does this mean you're going to get uh, dragged into court and and sued? And I think you know th- those are uh, that's that's a legitimate question. There's a pretty interesting article there. What's the which uh, where's that article from there, Eric? On the yeah, the if, Daily if you, Caller. Yeah, if you go to the Daily Caller, they they did a pretty good piece on there, and you know I guess one one of the issues where this is uh, relevant is the lab leak issue, where you've got dispute as to where COVID nineteen came from. You've got um, basically really a lot of strong evidence pointing to scientific research in Wuhan, pointing to the American government financing Wuhan to do this research with uh, chimeric viruses and inserting fear and cleavage sites. I mean, we've got all these grant proposals that basically describe doing the exact kind of work that would create something like COVID-19. And these, viral, these virologists are getting really touchy about this, right? And they're, and they're saying, oh, you're accusing us of, of being mass murderers and all this, and we're going to sue you guys. So... You know, this, these are these are questions of um, of scientific discourse. Are you allowed to criticize climate change uh, and basically get away with it? Now, as far as my opinion on this, um, you know, I'm a little bit sick of the climate deniers. To be honest, I think it's pretty obvious that we've got climate change. I think uh, you just got to look outside, especially up here in the north. You know, like I think it's fine and dandy for some right wing kind of climate denier down in Texas to to make some false accusations but at the end of the day we're going to have to pay for it up here we're probably we're on the front lines of climate change we're the ones that have forest fires we're the ones that are having our rivers dry up we're probably going to lose our salmon stocks if this if this keeps up i mean we're, we're paying the price up here and i'm to be frankly i'm a little bit fed up of it and i i think um 
you know, I think if these people are going out there, especially executives of these oil companies are going out there and muddying the waters, saying, oh, climate change isn't real. I think at a certain point they should be held responsible. Uh, the NDP brought in this um, a bill there to basically sue uh, oil companies for false advertising, uh, for denying climate change, and all, all the oil and gas sector, you know, all, all the whiny Albertans, they just got all up in arms about this. And uh, I, I agree with it. I absolutely agree with it. I think, um, you know, if you're a corporation and you're spreading false information about the reality of climate change, you should be hauled in the court. You should be paying because if they don't pay, we're going to pay. That's my rant. Yeah, how do we uh, <clears throat> reconcile that with uh, all the buses in India driving around with advertising on there to come to Canada and how great it is and how your life will be forever improved if you just follow our instructions? Is that... Are we misadvertising there? Or can we be sued for that? Maybe that all, of, all of India will sue us for telling a bunch of BS about how much the golden city has actually got no gold. Uh, <laughs> well, where do I begin with that? Uh, first of all, science time. only grows with the testing of hypotheses and, and the disputing of them and the ability to criticize and to try to find other solutions and other, other means that work. It's certainly not a good thing when you look at Charlie Angus's ridiculous bill about uh, trying to tell people what they can and cannot say in, order to, in promoting gas and oil. Uh, gas and oil is not going anywhere. And if you can't actually promote Canadian gas and oil because you're going to get an individual fine of half a million dollars or a corporate fine of a million dollars. That's a pretty chilling attack on free speech. It's a pretty chilling attack on uh, any aspect of promoting a natural resource which is common and resplendent in Canada and necessary to the success of our economy. What about, to, what about tobacco, Sheldon? Like, are comp- Is a corporation allowed to go out there and lie to people about the safety of tobacco when we know for a fact it's unsafe? Well, tobacco has been an issue ever since the the first per- people to promote its sale and trade gave it to those who who came after them yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, started promoting it. It has a means of getting sick, but I mean, we could talk about tobacco for weeks. It's the and same. Weeks. It's the same thing. I don't think it is the same yeah, thing at all. Okay, we're going to switch over to uh, Peter. You got something to say before we go? Uh, no, I just was looking at the, the article that uh, uh, got sent out regarding this whole thing here. And uh, I think, I think at, the, at the core of it is the, it says here Michael Mann won a defamation su- suit he originally filed in October 2012 against Rand Sinberg, who compared Mann to convicted pedophile Jerry Sandusky. So, yeah, I think... Th- that kind of uh, personal attack and all that, you know, that that, that goes that, that's into libel law, right? So, uh, to me, that that's at the core of it here. Overall, I I generally uh, I, I generally like a, an atmosphere of, of free expression, right? You know, on, on the on on things like this, right? But uh, uh, that doesn't include though, uh, you know, gr- libeling people and and so on. As a pr- apparently the, these. Uh, uh, writers did right. I, I don't. I don't go along with that. Okay, thanks, Peter. Uh, Herb, you got anything to add to that? Yeah, just uh, you know that um, Canada is busy subsidizing fossil fuel industry to the tune of billions of dollars a year, 
2022, the uh, uh, largest oil sand uh, corporations made over $35 billion in, in profits. I mean, this is a crazy state of affairs. And, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we should be reining in their, their uh, advertising because they're fooling a lot of people and a lot of Canadians as well. Okay, we're going to do... Uh, we didn't get to all the subjects we wanted to today. Uh, like one of the big ones, and we'll probably get into it when we come back. And there won't be any show next Monday because it's a holiday. But BC plans to reconcile by giving First Nations a veto on land use was going to be one of the topics. <clears throat> After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Darren Guess, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith.